Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. We are so excited today to be continuing our season conversation on pivoting and really trying to help you understand what that means in your business. It was a kind of the word of the last year. Everybody talked about pivoting, but it means different things to different people. And there are different percentages of pivot, uh, of shift. And so we're excited to hear a little bit about a story of pivoting from the one and only Angela Mayo. Angela, we're so excited that you're here. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited as well. So Uh, it is our pleasure. So why don't you just start out with telling our listeners a little bit about what you do? Okay. Well, um, my name is Angela Mayho, and I have a slow fashion knitwear company. My brand is all handcrafted outerwear that's knitted. I basically specialize in cardigans and knit to order pieces. So just custom pieces. I basically can knit anything. Um, I've been knitting for the past 12 years. So I decided to start my brand because I was knitting for families and friends, and that kind of morphed into more requests and friends of friends of friends, and I decided to start a business. So turning my passion into my business. It's the best thing when a business is informed by demand, right? People want exactly. it, and so you turned it into a business. Can you tell us, we've heard the the phrase slow fashion, and you you mentioned that as a part of your business. What does that mean? To me, slow fashion is something that is intentional and that is quality that could last, have longevity as opposed to mass produced fast mm-hmm. fashion. Say, I don't really, really mention brands, but something, a place like Zara or H&M would be a fast fashion company where it's very high turnover. You just buy for the season, then you get rid of it to just replace it with something else. For me, slow fashion is taking the time. The company actually is intentional about the materials that they use, the actual construction of the garment, wherever that may be, and have more of an investment in each piece. So when you purchase it, it's something that is more of a staple in your closet and just not a trend that you would probably get rid of in six months. And what made that a a necessary part of your brand or a value that you wanted to incorporate into your brand? Was it about, well, what, what was it? Well, it was just how I work all the way back from when I was in fashion school. I always picked the most intricate project. It's just a (laughs) part of how I create. So the more detail and the more time it takes, I side, like I'm all for it. So I don't really like doing anything at a fast pace. I like taking my time and really 
focusing on the details. So there's just a part of my personality and who I am. And I just basically weave that into my brand. So that's why I still do everything by hand. I actually have two knitting machines and I still do everything by hand because, and it could be also a control issue, but um, (laughs) I just like making sure that each stitch is correct, that everything is correct and that it's right for each person. So even though I offer staple pieces when I'm knitting a cardigan that I offer on my website and I know who it's for, I contact the person, hey, would you like it longer? Would you like it this way? What do you think about the sleeve? So even though it's a piece that you can purchase, it's still knit to order because I'm very intentional and very detailed about, because that's how I would like to shop, so. And for a business like that, you know, people are automatically gonna listen and think, okay, how do you scale that? Like one person (laughs) is knitting, is that something that's been a concern for you when you think about your business or is it something that is inherent in the brand and you're able to price out your products accordingly so it's not about scale? It is about the the, the quality of the one piece. Um, It's a little bit of both. I knit really fast, so that's just one. You must. So it usually takes about maybe a week for me to knit a, like a sweater, just say a cardigan. Um, if it's a, another type of pullover sweater, it's a little bit faster. But I also, I give four to six weeks lead time. So it is something that's custom, even though it's something that's been ordered on online. And I do, I don't really take in consideration like, oh, I have all these orders because each order is kind of spaced out, if that makes sense. So when yeah. if I do have a backlog, I usually inform the person, you know, well, this might take a little bit. And the four to six weeks is a good cushion, a cushion for me. So I give myself a little time. So if it takes like a week for me to do it, it may be a week for me to get the materials, then I have a, a good like two weeks to kind of like maneuver if I'm working on two pieces at a time, which I have because I get bored of one piece, then I go to the next piece. So I'm knitting two pieces at the same time. So I never had an issue with it yet. I, I would love for that to be an issue. I have too many orders. That would be <laughs> <laughs> um, but for now, it's 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 been really a good pace for me. And that's why the pieces are a little more expensive than just something that you would get at a department store or any type of other um, wholesaler because it is hand-knitted and because of the time. So I have to charge for my um, labor. Sure. So Sure. Yeah. And for the quality of what they're getting and the customability, exactly. like to know that I could have the sleeves a little longer or the the torso a little shorter whatever the case may be yeah. that that makes a big difference what was your professional experience you mentioned going to fashion uh, design school what was your professional experience before deciding knitwear is where i want to be i want to be hand knitting product um, <laughs> for my business like what led to this besides the demand from friends and family uh, well i always been interested in fashion since I was a kid, I wanted to do fashion. So before this, I was in retail. I was in luxury retail sales. So um, I was with the same company for like 18 years. So I started in sales, then I went into client relations, and then I ended up being a hospitality manager for the company. I went into the corporate side. And through all of that, I feel that it really kind of prepped me for what I'm doing now. Um, with any job I had, I always had like a side business. So I was always either doing custom sewing or knitting or things like that. But I've always been in the fashion world and um, just, you know, 
starting my business and dealing with customers and clients, it was just natural for me. So it was a natural progression for me to have a business like this because in my day-to-day work, I was, you know, creating experiences for clients of the company and really focusing on client relations. It was building relationships. That was basically the bulk of my job. I feel like people that come from any experience prior to launching their own business bring that wealth of information. It doesn't have to be in the same industry. I mean, you had the through line that it was still fashion, but you Mm -hmm. can almost always tell like there's something (laughs) they bring, whether it's understanding how to deal with other people that turn into your vendors, your your yarn vendors, for example, or, you know, I don't know where you're getting all of these things, but you have a sense of how to deal with people. You have a sense of how customer service needs to be run. It's not just knitting the sweaters. That's like one component that's creating the product, but then you have to market the product. You have to satisfy these customers who are paying a higher rate for the, the goods that you're selling. So all of that information, all of that knowledge, all of that experience that you brought to the table must have informed the business that you're running now. Definitely. Because when I, especially when I went in the corporate side of the fashion company I was working for, I was seeing all the back of house. So the inspiration boards, the vendors, the fabric vendors would come. As a hospitality manager, it was actually my job to create an experience for them. So I'm speaking to vendors from Italy and France. And so it was giving me an opportunity to see everything as a big picture and just not the finished garment. And then I really learned about lead times, working with um, the graphic designer, because as a part of my job, I created menus and created events. So learning how to work with vendors and creating, you know, whether it be like a flyer or any type of marketing email, I was basically doing all of that. So in a sense, I was really getting like a front row seat and how to like sustain a really successful business. I was just one player in that success, but it really did give me a lot of experience and it gave me a lot of knowledge. Of course, at the time, I didn't realize that. It was just like, oh, I just get up, I go to work and I come home. But when I decided that I wanted to start my company, it it was it was seamless. I already knew what to do, who to reach out to, even though it was on a different it wasn't on a mass scale that I was used to um, with my job, but I just knew all the steps automatically and it was just really easy for me to get started. Did you did you know when you were working at that company that one day I want to be an entrepreneur? Like when did the entrepreneur sort of bug bite you? When because it's oh. a different animal that that you know we are a different animal those of us <laughs> who want to be founders. When did you realize that that was in you or did it surprise you? I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur from the very beginning. I never wanted to work for anyone, even when I had to work for someone. So while I was actually at the company, I started my brand now. I knew that I I work well with people, but at the end of the day, I love just working with my by myself. Yeah. So um, I knew that I wanted to create something that had more of my values, more of my authentic code that was a part of it. So I just didn't want to have a nine to five everyday mundane job or life. And that was not going to make me happy. And 
a part of another reason why I decided to just like go for it and really start my company for real this time was because I was feeling a void and I was getting older and I was we all, like, what we am all I? are. We're all getting older, Angela. Well, you guys are. I'm not, but you guys are. (laughs) Yeah, but it was like, what am I doing with my life? You know, after I, because I'm, well, I'm 44. So after I turned 40, I was like, uh, I, half of my life is gone. What am I doing? And so I really, that's when I was like, I really have to go after what I want and stop letting fear and Mm. procrastination not like, not let me go for it. I always had, like I've said previous, I always had businesses. So I was always having something on the side, doing sewing or doing whatever for other people, but I never went in all the way. I would just dip my toe in it. But I was really like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Stop fighting it. Just go for it. So that's what really made me um, decide to just do it. There's two things that you said that I'm not going to let go of. One, you said I'm 44 (laughs) and I'm halfway done. No, you're not. Because if you're halfway done, then I'm more than halfway done. So I'm going to resist that one. But the other thing, you use the word authentic code. I love that. That's somebody, you need to own that as a brand. What do you mean when you say that? Well, um, for me, I spent a lot of my time doing things that I thought was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And even though it didn't really serve me, um, and just, I found that just through time, I was just feeling empty a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just, I knew who I was and what I wanted to do, but it was something that I was like, well, I can't be an artist. I can't be this. And at a certain point, I just had to honor myself and really dig into my self-worth and say, no, this is who I am and step into my space. And so for me, authentic code is living your true life, like living and actually doing the work before you get to know what that is, because I kind of knew what I wanted to do and what I was about, but I just never invested the time to really dig deep and say, well, this is who I am. And to like stand on that principle and be proud of it, not be ashamed that, oh, I've done like a hundred different things. I don't have a profession. Um, I feel a lot of times with creatives that is something that is a, that we're almost embarrassed about because mm. you're seeing other people ex- like excel in their profession. You know, my sister's a nurse, so it's like, oh, she's the nurse. So being a nurse, you're a nurse. <laughs> but for me, I'm a creative, so that can mean a hundred different things. And really um, finding and honing in on what that means for you and then sticking to that is something that takes time and it takes work. And I decided that's what I wanted to invest in myself, basically. I love that. And we will be soundbiting that all over the place when this <laughs> when this goes live. Thank you. for. And I'm serious. You need to own that as a brand, Authentic Code. I love that. I love somebody doesn't yeah. already. It's so great. <laughs> we often hear business owners say that um, they were slow to do this or quick to do this. And in retrospect, sort of regretting like, oh, I should have moved faster or I should have been a little bit more cautious and moved more slowly at whatever this move or decision was. What, what is that for you? Anything that you feel like you were, su- you were slow to, to initiate, to launch, to, to move into, or anything that you moved too quickly and would caution people to take more time? 
I would say I'm more on the slow end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I definitely moved a little slow on my current business and my current brand. And I think it had a lot to do with just me procrastinating. And I've learned over time, procrastination is just like fear manifested. And Mm. it's, I really, I don't regret moving slow because it's something I've learned a lot um, during the process, but I definitely feel that what, where I am now and when I started, I probably could have Um, did it a little faster. But because it was something that I was so passionate about, and I am a perfectionist, um, I wanted to make sure that each step I made, each decision, each like choosing my font for my brand took like two months (laughs) (laughs) because I'm all about, you know, well, this is a part of me. This is who I am. I want to represent myself. And you know, since I've started, I've changed my website like 10 times. So now that I'm in it and I know I'm like, oh, I could have started this five years ago, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel that, you know, moving slow because of, um, for me, it was just such an intimate thing to share with the world that I wanted to make sure I was doing it right. There are so many listeners right now who, uh, are going to be nodding their heads and like (laughs) feeling very understood by what you just said. Cause I think a lot of us experience that and it is very intimate. And when people talk about launching a business is like birthing a baby, it truly is. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it is very much a part of you. And the hardest thing to do is just start, but it's the necessary thing to do. Just start. And the reality is every iteration is also a part of you. Everything you change and morph into is also a part of you. Um, and rarely do we hit play and then that's that's the beginning and the end of what we started. It's always, it's always moving. Hence all those website updates that you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Um, how much of your brand was focused on you as the designer, founder, and how much of it was focused on the product? Because you talk a lot about it's a part of you and, and what you were launching was a, this very intimate part of who you are as a creative. How much of it did you base perhaps in the past on, on the product versus you? I would say at the very beginning, it was more about the product. I think the most um, scary thing was my pricing. And I think that has a lot to do with kind of, you know, imposter syndromes, like who's going to mm-hmm. pay this much? I, I just, it's something I knitted, you know, it's like I yeah. did every day, like, why would someone pay for this? Um, so I feel like I was really focusing a lot on the product of, okay, well, how long is it going to take me to knit this? How much should I charge? What yarn should I use? And let me alter the design so I can make it look a certain way. And that didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work for me. And so, because it wasn't me, and then I had to shift that to actually, this is my brand. This is who I am. This is a piece of me. So I really started moving the brand to me and having it just be an extension of who I am and creating because, you know, creating with my hands, it's like every stitch I do is me. So at that, a certain point, I had to make it be about my my intention and my art and what I wanted to share with other people. And if they bought it, great. If they didn't, great. But I wanted to start focusing on real, on clients that really wanted 
to purchase something from me or to connect with me and not just a cardigan. So um, now it's definitely 100%, you know, my beliefs and my values and morals. It's all throughout my brand. And that it's all about, for me, it's integrity and really um, Mm -hmm. creating something that is a reflection of who I am, especially with the longevity piece, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, I want someone to have an Angela Mayho sweater and be like, oh my gosh, I love this sweater. I've had it for 30 years. Yeah. So um, now it's it's definitely, um, a, you know, about what I want to say and how I want to translate that into a sweater. I want to ask you something and I want you to imagine in this scenario, the listeners who could take what you've just said and apply it to their own business and it not work out successfully. And let me, let me back up. So there might be somebody listening and saying, I heard the podcast with Angela Mayo and she said, just, you know, she was authentic and she sold at a higher price and I'm trying to do the same thing, but I'm not able to sell anything. What did you have to hear from, because as a founder, that's a constant balance, right? What you want to put out into the world match with what the market is willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. How did you balance those things? Did you Were you getting enough customer feedback that you knew that if I lean more into who I am, I'm going to continue to have success? Or did you not know and say, this, this could change everything if I lean more into who I am? Uh, because again, I think some people are going to listen to that and say, well, Angela said, and she, she's an expert, um, she's running her company and she said, just lean into who you are. Well, maybe who you are is not what the market's interested in. Maybe who you are is making unicorn colored, you know, popcorn. I don't know. And there's not that much appetite for that. So what do you say to that person? Do you say, well, go for it and just find the people who really want what you have? Or do you say you run that risk? And what do you say to them? Well, I would say, well, first, I'm not an expert. (laughs) I'm an expert (laughs) on Angela Mayo. But I would say that's where a lot of the foundational work comes in, Mm. comes into play. Because, you know, before I started my company, I was doing what I do. I've been I was doing it for 12 years, like just as my hobby or a passion of mine, I feel that's where you really define what you're doing. Is it something that you're really passionate about or you just want to make money? So I feel that it takes, and that's why I kind of went slow with everything as well, because it wasn't something that, oh, I put up a website and now I'm making all these monies. I I have all this, like these sales and orders are coming in. Um, it was something that definitely took time and it was intentional on my part that I wanted to invest in that. So I was looking at, okay, this is not an overnight thing. This is something that I want to build and work on for the next, you know, three to five years because I really wanted to do something that I love to do and for it to work. So I really focused on Who am I knitting for? Who's going to buy these things and Mm -hmm. who will pay the the price points for these things? And I think because I came from luxury retail, um, I knew that there's a lot of people out there that will definitely pay to have something that's 
uh, unique and custom made just for them. So mm-hmm. I think knowing your market, knowing your customer, and really working your craft and fine tuning your craft, because if you take the time to invest in yourself and become an expert at what you do and what you want to offer, then the price isn't an issue because people just want it because it's a quality piece. But it's something that takes time. It's not something that you come up with a thought overnight and you're like, hey, I came up with this idea. I'm going to make all this money. It's not about that. Yeah. And you use the word investment several times. And I think the subtext there is if you're going to, along with the experience you had of knowing who the customer was, because you've been creating these pieces for them even before it was your own website and your own business. In addition to that, you must have planned for, okay, the more I lean into who I am and how authentic I want each piece to be, the more I have to rely financially on whatever investment I have, right? So you must have set yourself up for that versus somebody who's like, I'm quitting my day job. I'm going to start this. I'm going to be really authentic to who I am and everyone will come. It doesn't really work that way. No. Yeah. I just <laughs> just want to make sure folks are hearing that. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to spend a minute on it because I know that your story has been um, over time. And although you said you wished you would have moved faster, I think it's what prepared you for the work that you're doing now and being able to lean in authentically to who you are as a brand and create the kind of product that you want to create. No, definitely. And to actually be transparent, like I went back into the workplace force. So I'm working again. I have a full-time job. So I feel like because, you know, when I did say investment, it's like sometimes that means a little going backwards a little bit and making sure that you can sustain yourself to do something that you love. That's why I feel like I are, that's why I know without a doubt, I'm passionate about knitting because all of the things of leaving a job, having a brand, going back into the workforce to sustain the brand, um, there's a lot of moving parts. And for me, it's been a really great experience because it's something that I really want to do and that I really want to make sure that it's something that is eventually can sustain me. So having to make adjustments, it's, I don't see it as an inconvenience or something that I'm ashamed of. It's just a part of my process and it's a part of the process. So I feel that I am able to really work on and lean into putting myself into the brand because Mm -hmm. I do have this backup of income that's um, stable that yeah. I can use to invest in the brand and, you know, pay my light bill if you yeah. to say. So, but that's just my personality too. I'm, I love stability. So I feel when it comes to the point where I have to jump again, I will jump. But at this point, you know, it's a decision that I made that I have to, um, because I want to have such an authentic brand that I decided to go back into the workforce and, to it be able to, you know, sustain my financial stability. Yeah. I, you're reminding me of a podcast we did years ago with uh, Rachel Brown, who's an artist, and she talked about not ever wanting to be a starving artist and wanting to make the decisions about her work based on what she wanted to put out into the world, not just what the market wanted her to create. And that that became a pivotal point for her in 
okay, I'm going to make these products that are mass produced by a printer. And then the art that I'm doing is the one-off that, you know, items that I'm doing that are custom, custom items uh, for, for people's homes. And that it really changed the way she approached her business to have that. Mm. In her case, it was one business. In your case, it's, it's two. You've got the income coming from out of your business so that you can make the decisions about your business uh, in a way that's what you want it to become. And so I caution people who have had a side hustle and are eager to leave their, their day job um, because they only want to focus on on the side hustle. Of course, I understand that. But if it limits your ability to do the work you really want to do or put out in the world, hang in there a little bit longer. Um, hang yeah. in, uh, hang on to that that uh, that security, that financial security. have pivoted during this pandemic, we too have shifted to meet the needs of our growing community of female founders. We want to use this podcast conversation as a starting point for deeper dialogue and to connect you to the resources, tools, and tips shared within these interviews. Please join us on the Liberty Network to connect, collaborate, and keep talking. And a few other perks in the Liberty Network. Join our monthly virtual Mentor Monday meetups, create and share your profile with the whole community, and access a brain trust of entrepreneurial women, all for free. To join the conversation, head to libertyforher.com. That's L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R.com. And click on the bar at the top of the homepage that says, Join the Liberty Network. Okay, I'm going to pivot us. Since this is about <laughs> pivoting, um, I'm going to shift into the second part of our conversation, which is, you know, th- this last year, and you and I have talked about this in the past, but it, it was, it's not over, but it's been trying not just the pandemic, but I think, you know, it, it's funny to have George Floyd mark something that I think was uh, an uncovering of what was already there versus the beginning of something, Right. But for you, you took it personally, and I and I I want to unpack that. We all should, but you it really affected the way you looked at what was next for you in your business and how you were portrayed. I saw the shift um, in your emails. I saw the shift in the way you presented yourself on your website. Tell us a little bit about what what the impact of COVID and of the racial unrest, what what that did to you or how that affected your business? Well, starting with COVID, actually, um, it basically halted everything. Um, 2020, as we probably all had plans, oh, this is my year. Yeah. And <laughs> I, you had, I had a laundry list of things that I was going to do and um, expand. Um, I was, it was for me, it was all about building a networking community and I was, you know, so gung ho about really connecting with people. And, you know, come February, March, like that was not an option. So um, my business basically just stopped. And um, because people were afraid and it was a lot of uncertainty, you didn't know like what was going on, what was happening. 
Um, and then, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd happened and then it became another layer on top of that. And I feel things that happen, they've happened before within the black community. Um, I feel who knows the reason why it, it was uh, received as it was this time around. I, I, I'm assuming because everyone was home and everyone was able to put their eyes on it. And it was, mm. it was something that was a little more, um, something you, people could focus on basically. And for me, that incident really shifted me as a person. And because I am connected to my business, I am my business. I really stopped putting kind of like the shade over myself because before that I was just a knit wear designer. I designed it where I didn't want my race or my gender to play anything into what I was offering. I was an artist, I was creative, and this is what I had to offer. After all of those events, I felt it was so necessary to really represent who I was and to really put myself as I am a Black woman living in America and I have a company and this is my brand. And to really personalize that and to voice those opinions and to be seen was very important to me because that's how I was always seen. Even though, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm in my skin every day, I, I, I know that I'm black, but you just don't think about like, like, you know, I'm walking down the street and I'm not thinking I'm a woman. Oh, I'm black. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's just who I am, but other people are seeing me and putting labels on me all the time. It's just that I never really did that for myself. But I felt after, you know, mid-2020, it was very important to represent those labels and to really be an example of those labels as to this is, you know, who I am. Yeah. And we're glad that it's who you are. Um, (laughs) I am. Uh, And I know so many people that know you are as well. That word pivot meant a lot of things to a lot of people in the beginning of the intro for this uh, podcast. I said that, you know, some people were, it was a 10% shift in one direction. For some people, it was a complete 180. For some, they had to shut down altogether. With regard to the, the racial piece of it, and I think how people, regardless of their color, what they did with that information, whether it was on social media which is, I think, where we saw the most obvious uh, experience of that rollout or intention rollout. There were there were lots of pivots going on. What what was the most immediate pivot once you realized that? Okay, who I am and how I view myself needs to be represented in the brand. I am a black woman who is a creative and an artist and the and a knitwear designer. The things that you already is it knitwear. Because isn't, yeah. isn't it where? Okay. Um, <laughs> Want to make sure I'm using the right lingo. But in addition to those things that you already saw yourself as before, you added the, the, the black woman. What other pivots maybe with regard to your business were going on? I mean, you talked about not being able to network as much, but what happened with regard to the actual needs of the customer? Did they die off? Were people not buying sweaters? Were people... What, what was happening for you internally as a business? Uh, well, f- the first half, there was nothing. nothing. Everything stopped. It's just nothing. And 
towards the second half, I would say like around like the summer, I guess, you know, we were at home for months at this point. And I feel that people were kind of realizing this is something that's a, that's going to be around for a while. Um, I started getting more knit to order um, orders, like custom orders. So I found that I was doing more personal pieces for people. I was doing a lot of gifts for people. And the whole, um, my website was just basically, I didn't need it because people were just reaching out to me in other ways saying, hey, I need a sweater or hey, can you knit me a baby blanket? I have, you know, I need this or can I have this? So I feel that my business definitely pivoted towards more of a one-on-one and not necessarily I had like customers, I had more clients. Mm. And so um, it became really kind of a one-on-one intimate type of situation where I was on the phone designing pieces for people and what they needed. And it wasn't about, oh, just place an order on my website. It was like, okay, Venmo me money and I will get started. So right. um, it it really um, made me take a second look as to what I wanted to do and what I actually enjoy doing. And it really, at that point, I decided that I wanted to change the, the dynamic of my company and, and do more custom pieces because I also felt that I enjoyed that more as opposed to knitting the same thing over and over and over and over again. I was able to actually be creative in the design process and knitting things that were something that was different every time, depending on the order. So it actually led me to um, dig a little bit deeper into what I wanted to offer and how I wanted the company to move forward. You said something that I just had an aha moment and you made the distinction between customers and clients. And I love that. And I think so many of us can learn from that. A customer, let's just assign the definition as that that's a one-time order, right? Versus a client is somebody who you have a relationship with and they may order multiple pieces from you over X amount of years. And the, the the way we respond to those people, the way we brand to those people, the relationship we build with those people is very different uh, one from the other. But what's also so smart about it from a bottom line point of view is the client becomes, you know, everybody's doing the membership model, subscription model, right? Those people are mm-hmm. clients. Every month I'm going to send something to our clients versus a customer is that one-time transaction. The bottom line genius of it is that you're not having to attract a brand new person each time. So the way you grow mm-hmm. your business is based on the people, your, your fan base versus constantly trying to go get new people, which you need to be doing mm-hmm. as well. We want to grow that fan base. But it's it's a really different way at looking at your business. And so to me, that's that pivot is internal. Nothing really shifted on the outside um, you may have done a few different things in terms of bells and whistles, but that kind of pivot is something that I think many of us should be taking a look at. No, I definitely agree. And coming from like a luxury retail bra- background, I always had a client book. I always had clientele. And so when I started, when I first started the brand, I was 
like looking for customers, which to me, I'm like, why am I looking for customers? You know, after I decide, I realized that I'm a client-based business, like I've been doing this for the past 20 years. I should know this. You know, right. you want clients and to build those relationships. And you're totally right. You know, like it's a balance, you know, when you're working in a client-based uh, environment, it is building relationships and really with the client, but also welcoming new customers and turning them into clients. And that whole balance and dance of, okay, how do I get new people to come in as well as stay true to who I am and then cater to the people that are already there. So um, that's just a part of my DNA and building relationships, uh, meeting people and bringing them in. So it, it was something that I realized later that I was like, well, this is who I am. I've been doing this for a long time. The fact that it took, you know, the coronavirus to get me to understand that I was, uh, I guess that's a blessing in disguise. So, and so many of us will have that story that 2020 taught us something about uh, our business and the pressure that we were put under actually created, you know, something altogether different. And there's a million analogies to coal and diamonds and in, in all of that. But that's what happens <laughs> when we're put under pressure. Do you think that small businesses need to really look at sort of shifting their core values and how they market after a year like 2020? Do you think that no one can ignore that? Like we have to use what we learned last year in order to move forward. And if if you recommend that they do, any ideas on how they should do that? Like, is there anybody that cannot think about how they market to black buyers? How many black owned businesses they work with or collaborate with? Um, their language on their website, their language on their Instagram. Is there anybody that can just get away with just passing up the lessons we learned in 2020 or should get away with it? <laughs> I think that you always have those those companies and, and that will always just stick to their what they know and what they're comfortable with and yeah. um, what what has worked for them in the past. And actually ignore what's socially going on. But I think as a small business, if you're just starting out and you want to grow something, it's it's a great time to be a part of the change that's happening and the move and the pivoting that's happening. So I think it is necessary to just look and see, okay, what is what is it that I want to represent and, and who I want to reach? And and if your company actually represents or um, helps, you know, marginalized communities, am I, am I excluding anyone? And, mm-hmm. but still also remaining true to what it is that you want to do. I think that's just kind of like being a good basic human, uh, being considerate of others yeah. while yeah. you're actually still being true to who you are. So I feel like it's not necessarily the businesses that need to um, have a overview. It's the actual people that have the businesses. Like, who am I? Like, what am I? Uh, why haven't I done this in the past? And what was I? What was I missing? And why do I think that um, excluding certain groups of people or not marketing certain groups of people is okay? But at the same time, you can't really appeal to everybody. Yeah, so it's, it's a balance. Right. 
yeah, it's definitely a balance of what it is that you're, that you're offering and how to make it an even playing field for everybody. So it's kind of a, I mean, I feel like it's a little more like an individual based, um, Mm -hmm. decision, but yeah, I definitely think there's going to be, there will, there needs to be a change in how businesses are ran and what are you doing in the back of house and who are you supporting and what types of um, vendors you're using and all of that. Cause that plays into um, everything. Yeah. Basically. I, I appreciate the, the term of art back of house because I often say, you know, how the sausage is made and that yours is much more <laughs> elegant, but I think that that's a, you know, one of the fallouts on social media in particular of people trying to acclimate to this new normal of how we how we become allies, how we become inclusive, how we become more considerate of the people that we're marketing to and what their needs might be and the need for representation. I think when we try and put those things on the front end of our business, they can appear to be token exercises versus if we put them behind the scenes of what we're doing so that it's almost like if somebody were to come and move the curtain, they would see that the transformation is something that's going on behind uh, closed doors. And I think Mm -hmm. that might be a good starting point for many of us when we don't know what to do, um, that it's not just about throwing something on your Instagram. I'm not saying that it's not important to do that too. I do think that showing ourselves to be allies in that way is important. But when it's not reflective of who we actually are as a business, I think we run the risk of missing the point, well-intentioned as it might be. And that leads us nicely into this next question, <laughs> which is, you know, and I, I, as, as honest as you can be here, I think to inform the listeners on your opinion, it's, it's just your opinion or one opinion of what's, what kind of the best way to proceed or best practices are here. So one of the things I heard a lot, uh, the second half of last year in particular, was this sort of, this sense of being frozen. I'm afraid to post anything. I'm afraid to show myself as an ally for fear of A, being viewed as uh, as a, uh, a token play, you know, by my business or by me. But also, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm afraid that I'll be canceled. I'm afraid that in an effort to be doing what I believe is the right thing, it will be viewed by any number of people as ineffective um, for a variety of reasons. I know people that were canceled. I think some people should have been canceled and it was a long time coming. And I think other people played their cards wrong and the fallout was, was great. And I, and I don't, you know, I think we have to be careful of this cancel culture thing too, because there doesn't allow for grace uh, when people are well-intended. What, what do you say to those of us who felt that instead of learning and catalyzing the lessons learned from 2020, we froze. What do you say we should be doing? Um, How do we act and move forward knowing that 
political correctness and the shame of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing and even being canceled is a risk that we're running? Um, wow. Well, I mean, I feel that it's not necessarily a thing that, you know, you can have a list. Oh, do these things. I, I don't think that's, that's not the answer. I think it's more of an internal thing of, and it's an individual thing. And for me, instead of giving solutions, I pose questions hmm. like, so what do you believe? What, what are your true beliefs? What would you like to see? Would you, how would you like to see yourself represented? What, you know, and so I feel that it, it's, it's not just do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be okay. I think there's a lot of thinking that has to happen before action and a lot of soul searching that needs to happen because if you're part of a group that has never had to experience oppression in any way, mm. it, there is a part of it that you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. But at the end of the day, the the groups that have had been oppressed, they're still humans. We're, we're <laughs> you know, it's still a human, it's a human to human connection. When you yeah. take and strip everything away, it's a human to human connection. So if you look at it from that standpoint, well, you don't need me to tell you how to treat me. I'm a human being. So how do you treat yourself? And I feel represent that in your company, represent that in your marketing. And it's not something that you would have to skate around if you actually take the time to really dig deep and do research and educate yourself on how to navigate in the waters and how and, and learn about actual other cultures. You know, I wasn't, I didn't get a laundry list of, oh, this is how you carry yourself when you're oppressed. <laughs> I yeah. didn't have that. <laughs> So it was like, it was trial and error. So it's, you sure. know, some things I would let pass by or I was naive to certain things. But over a period of time, I realized, oh, okay, well, this is how I handle this situation. It's, it was, it's almost a self-taught thing. So no one could tell me, oh, well, this is what you need to do. So I kind of get yeah. a little, not annoyed, but it's, it's kind of a thing of, because I had, my nun, like my white friends reach out to me. Oh, what book should I read? What should I do? And it's like, well, that's not up to me. I'm not a spokesperson. It's up to you to decide how do you want to be the change that's happening? Do you want to be a part of that change? How do you want to represent yourself in your communities, in your society? Do you want to be a part of change? or Do you want to stand outside and be the onlooker of change? So I feel that that's how this is going to start um, that's how we're going to start healing and mending things is an mm. individual based actions, like taking actionable steps individually and answering questions that, you know, how do you want to live your life? How do you want to really represent yourself? And to see me as human and mm. not as a black woman first, but I have feelings. <laughs> I, I have, you know, I, if you want to represent me in a certain way, well, if I represent you in that same way, how would you feel? Mm. So I think it's a lot of self-reflection that needs to happen and not necessarily an outreach to the Black community as, how do you guys want to be treated? I, I think that's kind of, it just adds more to the frustration. I think it's just another out for the for us not to get down to the root of the problem. 
Yeah. It's another kind of like shallow layer of like band-aid, putting a band-aid on it as opposed to getting down to the problem. Right. I also, you're, you're enlightening me in so many ways. I love the posing <laughs> questions versus solutions. There's so much wisdom in that. And I think, again, that, that those are the things that are informed by our own selves and our own experiences. But what you just said about like your friends calling and we've heard that I saw the SNL skit about it, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hilarious. It was hilarious. Um, and sad all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. but what I realized it did while well-intended, like, I think what, what people were doing was saying, I'm sorry by reaching out. There was this subtext of I'm sorry, help me do better. And what I realize happens when, when, when that happens is that it's an us and them again. It's us reaching out to them. It's them reaching out to us, whatever, whatever mm -hmm. side of that you're on instead of you're being your Angela and you are defined above all things by being Angela, like, right? Like your feelings, who you are. And so we need to define ourselves in that same way and go do the homework ourselves, not, not because it's not good to have your backstory to inform us, not because we don't need to hear how you've been hurt uh, or how you have been mistreated or how people took something for granted and that affected you or impacted you negatively, but because we if we come at it from our own lens and as our own story and inform ourselves, then we're able to reach out to you as fully who you are versus, again, a white person is reaching out to a black person saying, what do I do? How do I act? What's my next move? I've said before, like, I felt the conflict of I, 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 I'm a person that was born out of this country. I was born in Egypt. I, you know, have this weird sort of sense of how I fit into this American narrative. And it's like, oh, I don't really know where I belong. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, being able to come at it from my own lens um, has been something that I've had to try and figure out what that lens is. And so I just appreciate what you've said by having people reach out to you as a black woman is a very limited way of looking at who you are, never mind the responsibility that we, as the other, whoever you are, wherever you're other, needs to, needs to define themselves in order that they can do the work that they need to do. And we all have work to do. Um, nobody's absent of, or nobody gets a free pass on whatever yeah. work that they need to do. So I appreciate that. What's one piece of advice, given the lessons that you've learned over the course of, I'll be specific to 2020, 2021, because it's not over. No. <laughs> what, what are the lessons that, that you, or, or bits of wisdom or advice that you want to leave our entrepreneurial listen, listeners with? People who are starting up in this climate and people who are trying their damnedest to keep going. Well, I have two things. First, yeah. uh, just start. <laughs> start with what you have. <laughs> start with where you are. Just start. Even if it's just a landing page coming soon, just start. But I feel starting a business, you I feel is so important at the very beginning to really define why are you starting the business? 
and what it is that you want to weave? Like, what is your legacy? Are you creating a legacy? Like, why do you want to start a business? Because I feel that's going to be how you treat your business and how you treat the people that are supporting your business. So I feel that doing the work of what what message do I want to tell is so important. And I know that it's it's the business and it's the person, but at the end of the day, it's the person. So as as that person, how is it that you want to represent yourself and, and the why? It's all about the why. You know, are you doing it to make money, just just to make lots of money? Are you doing it to create a service and to help someone? But I feel when you need to when you define that, the the next steps are just going to happen because mm. you'll know what direction you want to go in once you build a solid foundation of why am I taking the time to create this? Yeah. And so I feel if you haven't defined that, that's the very, very first step. And to me, that's still starting because you're starting to think about those things and then you build on top of that. But just start somewhere. If yeah. it's a journal entry or it's a prototype, start somewhere. Start somewhere. That's the lesson <laughs> yeah. we've learned today. I, I love that. And I love that you're you're asking us to really define whatever that true north is. So we have something to tether or to measure each decision against. If I'm starting it because I want to make money, then each decision has to reflect that. If I'm starting it because I want to be authentic to who I am as an artist, then each de- decision is is you know measured against that. If I'm starting it because I, I want to serve people in this way, whatever it is, and none of those things are bad. They're all good. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes we're ashamed of one over the other because it's bad to want to make money or it's bad to not to want make money. I think it's just defining what what that what that thing what that thing is. So I appreciate exactly. that. Yeah. Cause I feel once you define that, then it's actually, it's easy, even yeah. though people think it's hard to start a business. Once you actually get all the, 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 the parts together, it's actually really easy because then your business kind of lead you into what the next step is. Yeah. By the way, if you think it's hard to start a business, wait till you have to run the business. <laughs> That's the hard part. That's when the hard stuff begins. So before I let you go, Angela, and thank you for so much wisdom in this um, conversation and so much honesty and transparency. And I'm excited to see how more of you will be reflected in your brand in the in the year to come. But we have this fun little thing that we do called a fast five, and it's just a way for our audience to get to know you even more. So just answer okay. whatever comes to mind. So what's the number one trait? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are you nervous? <laughs> Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. What's the number one thing that you think an entrepreneur must possess? Well, there's a lot of things, but I, I feel um, consistency. Mm. Be consistent with what you're doing. So, you know, consistently move forward. You have to keep it. You have to keep the machine moving. So I feel consistency, whether it's consistently doing something wrong or consistently doing something right, keep moving because that's where you learn the lessons. That's a good one. That's my word this year, consistency. So (laughs) thanks for that. Um, What's the number one app you use for your business or software? It's not an app. Uh, Probably the Planoly app for for Instagram. 
I think before we started this, I was like, I'm an auntie with technology. So I'm like, I like pen and paper. Is that an app? (laughs) My date book, my book planner. But um, that I do use that app because I'm a visual person. So I like to see how things are going to lay out. So that's probably my number one app, my go-to. And then what was the first thing that you hired out once you had a little bit of money uh, as a business owner? Anything that you were like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to pay for this. Well, when I started, really started knitting, I actually got a yarn vendor. And the one of the things I bought, I bought like the big like sample book. Uh-huh. And it was just it's like seventy five dollars. I'm like, am I gonna pay this much money for yarn? Like samples, like strings of yarn in a binder. Yeah. And it took me a, a, a like a while to figure out. Oh, do I want to buy this? I'm like, I'm a professional now. I need the book. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, now it's it's I like it because I have tools to show people. Oh well, these are all mm. the wools you can pick. These are all the silks you can pick. These are the cashmere's you can pick. So I have like a yarn dealer. You know, I'm official now. You are. You're legit. Yeah. And thanks for saying yarn in front of dealer before anybody gets the wrong impression here. (laughs) It's a yarn dealer. If given the choice between Twizzlers and Red Vines, and I want you to really think about this because this is very important. What would you choose between a Twizzler and a Red Vine? Neither. Stop. I'm I'm, I'm not a candy person. I love chocolate. Okay. But oh, I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe Twizzlers because I remember the commercials when I was a kid. I remember the Twizzlers commercials, so I would pick a Twizzler because okay. they had great, mar- better marketing. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you off the hook because <laughs> you don't actually eat them, but we all know that it's red vines. But anyway, oh, um, oh, it is okay. I no, know. nobody agrees with me. Everybody agrees with you and says Twizzler. So oh, far, okay. I've had only one other red vine person. So you know that this podcast is called Liberty for Her. Our brand is Liberty for Her, and it's because this idea of uh, liberating your entrepreneurial dreams is so important to us. What does it mean for you? What does liberty mean for you? For me, uh, going back to our middle of our conversation, I, it's my authentic code. Mm. Um, for me, liberty is really standing in your truth and being yourself a hundred percent, even the bad parts. You know, mm. I like even you know they say shadow work, you know, your shadow self, t- bringing her along too. Everybody comes and you come to the table collectively and you stand in who you are. I feel like that's the most liberating thing you can do for yourself Mm. it's it's had it's it's like freedom like you're you can't be swayed in any directions you're on a stable foundation of yourself and it really helps just in in life in general for you to really stay focused because if you're in your authentic code majority of the time you can't be convinced to do something outside of yourself or something that that you're not passionate about or something that won't represent you. So I feel that um, being like Liberty is just like being free. I love it. I love it. And I love that. Bring her to bring that shadow self, bring Bring all of it. The judgmental girl. Yeah, All of it. All of it. (laughs) I, I appreciate that. And I know so many listeners will appreciate that. And, and ironically, that'll be the thing that motivates them to just start, which was your other piece of advice. So thank you, Angela. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your wisdom. You are an expert. You said you weren't, but you are an expert (laughs) at so many things as evidenced in this conversation. And I just, 
I'm so happy to have had you and all of the other parts of you in this conversation with us. <laughs> well, thank you for, you know, extending the invitation. Like this is my first podcast, my first interview, my first anything. So it was, um, thank you for making it very like seamless. And oh, um, yeah, our pleasure. <laughs> and and I know it won't be your last. So, so get ready. People are going to listen to this and going to want to have you on their show too. But just remember <laughs> us, we were your first, we were your first. <laughs> exactly. Liberty listeners, I'm excited for you to really process this interview and all the wisdom in it. And until then, we will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Bye. Liberty for Her is broadcast on all platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty For Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. <laughs>